Hello and welcome to the Final Whistle podcast. My name is Harry McBain and joining myself and co-host Bobby Addison is a striker who's played for the mighty Nottingham Forest, Reading, and he is currently with Western Sydney Wanderers in Australia. Uh, it's Simon Cox. Thanks for joining us all the way from Australia. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm really good, thank you. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming on. Let's start off uh, with this, quite a simple one. What made you want to become a footballer? Uh, it's pretty simple, really. I think it was uh, just a lifelong dream. I think every young young boy and every young girl at the minute um, who play sport at school and stuff like that wants to become a professional footballer. And I've just been lucky enough to fulfil my dream. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And uh, could you like name us any idols that you had when you were growing up? Maybe like footballs you took inspiration from? Yeah, my my footballing idol was uh, was Teddy Sheringham at the time um, oh, wow. when I was growing up um, just loved the way that he played the game played the game with his head more than he uh, he was a lot quicker in his head than he was on his feet and um, just really liked the way that he played the game so uh, yeah he was my uh, footballing idol growing up oh great it's very interesting and uh, during your time obviously you started in the Reading Academy were there any coaches there that maybe taught you some key lessons that you you know took uh, that advice throughout your career maybe yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had some, I had two really good coaches. Um, Brendan Rogers was one who was um, my first mm. proper, um, what I would call mentor. Um, somebody who, you know, obviously has gone on to do really good things in the game and um, he's done really good at Leicester at the minute. But um, yeah, he, he was a young coach at the time, and he, uh, he sort of broke down the game fundamentally, made sure that everyone was tactically aware of what their jobs were. Uh, even at a, um, even at Reading in the academy, made players understand their positioning and um, not just your sole positioning. If that was a striker, it was you need to know the role uh, the role of like your midfield players, your defenders, so that you were tactically aware. Um, and then the second one was Eamon Dolan, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, and he took over from Brendan and just created this incredible legacy that Reading's Academy has today. And uh, they, they continue to produce young um, local players through the academy for the first team. So they were two, my two um, sort of mentors at, uh, as a young age. Yeah. And uh, you made your like senior debut, I think it was against Luton in 2005. Um, what was it like playing your first ever senior professional game? I ran around like a headless chicken. I didn't know what to do. Um, I came on, I think I gave away about four or five fouls in the space of like two minutes or so. And I listen, it was it was one of those things you always dream of, but um, one of those I just couldn't really, you know, you can't really describe the feeling. It was just one that mm. is a good blur. Um, and then, but it just gives you that hunger, it gives you that taste of of wanting more. And um, and I was lucky enough after making that one, I made a couple of more, uh, a couple more appearances in the cup. And um, yeah, it was one of those that you, you can't really describe. But ultimately, it was a it was a feeling of immense pride. Yeah, and I'm sure throughout your career, you've played in many great uh, stadiums. Are there any venues that you've particularly enjoyed playing at that are really memorable for you? Uh, I mean, I've been lucky enough to play, um, you know, international football as well as uh, at the top level in the Premier League. So you come up against the, the sort of top clubs, and, um, and it makes 
you go out to the the city of Manchester Stadium, uh, Old Trafford, Anfield, the Emirates, yeah. you know, all of those stadiums. Mm-hmm. But then you're lucky enough. I I played a couple of um, friendlies for Ireland uh, in mm-hmm. New York. We played at um, MetLife Stadium, which is uh, incredible stadium. And then we played at Yankee Stadium as well. So it's uh, it's been wow. Yeah, it's, some really, some really nice iconic stadiums in there, but you probably I haven't really got a favourite one. I don't think. Yeah, it's probably hard to pick in there. <laughs> uh, so maybe bit. moving on a bit, a little bit. In your time at West Brom, you helped score to beat Man City in the League Cup, and obviously had a, a good squad. Who have you been? Maybe toughest players or defenders you faced in your career? Again, it's 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 tough because again, like like I said earlier. Um, you come up against some of the best in the in the world um, when you play international football and especially mm-hmm. in the Premier League and you come up against the likes of Rio Ferdinand and John Terry and all of those uh, players of that ilk and um, so it's very hard to pick but I always I always use uh, Sergio Ramos as, as the one that uh, I came up against a couple of times for Spain and uh, yeah, he was just different compared to everybody else Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 2012, uh, you moved to Nottingham Forest uh, and just in that season had three different managers, obviously Sean O'Driscoll, Steve McLaren and Billy Davis. Um, what was that like and how hard is it as a player to, you know, develop and fit in when the manager's constantly changing? Yeah, well, that, that doesn't help. And, uh, and I think it was more, um, you know, with the owner as well. We didn't really have the consistency. Yeah. Um, there was a change in ownership from the guy, the guy that signed, that I signed for. Then all of a sudden he changed. I think it was his cousin that then took over. Fawaz took over. Um, so yeah, that that doesn't help. And um, but look, at the end of the day, we're we're professional. You have to get on with the job at hand, and um, you have to try your best for for every manager that that comes in, whether he picks you or he doesn't pick you. Um, you have to try your best, and um, we tried our best. I think. If we're being, if I'm being really honest, I think we um, we failed. We like we had a really good squad at that time. Um, we finished that that I think my first season we finished just outside the playoffs. Um, like we didn't make it on the last day because we I think we drew with Leicester two two. So um, we needed a we needed a win to get into the playoffs, and then obviously playoffs is a bit of a lottery anyway. So, um, but that that season I feel like we failed a little bit. Um, we needed to, we, we had a bit of a sticky spell with the changeover of managers around just after Christmas time um, when Sean O'Driscoll left and then uh, and then we never really got going in, until Billy Davis came in. Yeah, um, and I was just going to put one in that I haven't written down with when it comes to Billy Davis. He's obviously um, a, a big character that um, I'm sure many Forest fans will know. What was it like working under him and the way that he manages? He, he was great. He was great for me. He was great for us. Um, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a strange character, but um, but somebody who players really love playing for. You know, gives you the like likes to have a laugh and a joke, but very very serious as well. Um, tells you everything about the opposition, everything you need to know. Um, makes again makes you aware of what your job is um and then there's no gray areas and and you have to go out and execute that um that game plan um but yeah like really good guy um but there's a there's a little bit of a, a loose loose screw somewhere in there 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and at Forest, you scored uh, an excellent goal against the future England goalkeeper, Jack Butland. Uh, I mean, took the touch and then uh, dinked it in. What was it like to score You know that goal? And what have been your most memorable goals that you've scored throughout your career? I'd say that one was probably the, the most memorable one. I think that's the one that people sort of affiliate myself with um, a lot more than any other goal. Um, but I remember that. I'd, I'd just come back off of uh, international duty and... Um, and I got, I came off injured. I came off with a sort of, I rolled my ankle. So I was a bit touch and go for the game, but I really wanted to play. And um, because I didn't turn up for training until the Thursday, I was on the bench and I came on and um, I, I could obviously talk you through the goal. It was one of those that you stretch and you hope that you, you're able to bring it down. And as it was, it just popped up nicely. And and the fact that who it's against in goal, it, it makes it a little bit more sweeter. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that was always nice. Yeah, yeah, that's great there. And obviously you mentioned a little bit about uh, international duty. Obviously you were called up for Ireland actually to play a Euro 2020. And, you know, what was it like receiving that call up? You know, were you, is it a proud moment in your life? Absolutely. It was um, It was something that I never really thought of uh, that would come. Uh, I'll be honest. I think um, you try your hardest every day in, in every game to to try and get that recognition. And then all of a sudden when it, when it does come, when that call does come and you, uh, and you get the opportunity to play at international level with what is meant to be the best selected 11 or 18 or 25 players uh, in your country or eligible to play for your country, then it's a, it's a very proud moment, not just for, for me, but for my family as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, in 2014, you rejoined Reading, obviously where you started your career um what made you want want to return and what was it like obviously going back to where you started well I'll be honest I never really expected to go back to Reading um Stuart Pearce was a manager at Forest at the time and and I remember we were playing a pre-season we were about to play a pre-season game against West Brom at, at the city ground and he pulled me in and he said um you're not going to be involved today in the pre-season game and I was like okay um I want you to be a part of the Mikhail Antonio deal to go the swap deal from Sheffield Wednesday to Forest and, and you go the other way. And I said, no, I won't be a part of any swap deal. I, if I go anywhere, I want to go somewhere where a, a team wants me. Um, and he said, okay. Um, so I was on the phone to my agent and then, uh, and then I got a chance to go back to Reading. So it was never really something that I thought would happen. Um, but then when I got the chance to go back, it was, again, it was a, because I never really sort of broke through when I, you know, made my debut and I never really got all the way through to the first team and played regularly. It kind of felt like it was a new start for me anyway. Um, and it was not, it was just nice to go back. And obviously I, you know, you end up having loads of tickets for every game, your family want to go. And um, it was just a really nice little return for me. Yeah, I'm and- sure it was. Bobby, can I just put in another one before the next one is next question? Is uh, at Reading you had quite a, there was quite a few other strikers that were really good. What's it like as a striker, and how important is it to have, you know, competition to to keep up maybe the pressure on yourself to to get the goals? Yeah, competition is is uh, is something that creates uh, good habits and makes sure that um, you stay on top of your game. But also the best thing is consistency. You, you're not going to get into good form if you're in the team one week and you're out the team the next or you're in for two or three games and then you're out the next. So you, mm. there needs to be consistency. You can't you can't have 
four or five really good strikers and three of them are sat there on the bench and all of a sudden you don't, if you don't score one game, you're out. You know, you need to be able to rely on being picked for four or five, six games and then, you know, you can try and play your way into form. Um, but we had a good team. Uh, again, it was similar to, to Forest. We um, we had a lot of change of managers again and, uh, and ownership as well. So that sort of hindered uh, the progression of what, you know, we had a really young team because they'd just been relegated from the Premier League and they had some really big earners uh, from Premier League wages. They needed to get off the books and it made that we had to play with a lot of uh, a youth team, which gives people opportunities, which is great. Yeah. Um, but ultimately you judged on on wins and three points and, um, you know, throughout that sort of season, we, we struggled, we did okay, but we struggled and then... Um, but we got to uh, an FA Cup semi-final, so that that was good. And, you know, it was just a nice, like I say, it was just a nice home homecoming for me. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good experience. Obviously, you have to go through things like that as professionals, you know. It's, uh, it grounds you sort of and, you know, you know, it helps you evolve. And you also that competition, as you said, you want to be playing consistently, but then obviously you always have, have to have that sort of, you know, that weight on your shoulders letting you know that, you know, you've got to keep doing as best as you can really, don't you? Absolutely. It's that, that, like I said, that competition, it breeds that you, you, you know, you have that ability to, you have to produce your best um, because you know that if you don't produce your best or close to your best on a, on a regular basis, you're going to be sat down for, for three or four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is. But um, like I say, consistency in selection means that you, you know, you're at least allowed to try and play yourself into form. And then once you do that, if you stay in the team, then great. And, you know, other people sit there and, and obviously ride the wave with you. Yeah, definitely. And maybe moving on now, next in your career, you uh, joined Southend United and you, you played there for about four years, making, you know, 150 appearances. What was it like, uh, your time in this club? And maybe like what made you stay for so long? So obviously four years is quite a long time at a team. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was- Actually, one of well, I think it's the longest I'd ever spent at a club. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it was it was great. I um, you know, I left Reading again. It was change of ownership and change of managers and stuff like that 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 sort of made made my decision or, or they made it. They didn't want to renew my contract, which is fine. Um, you have to accept that. And then, um, I got a phone call from the manager at Southend at the time, Phil Brown, and he, and he said, "Come down and have a chat." Um, so I met him at a service station on the M25, um, had a coffee and, um, no, listen, he was, he was great. Um, told me exactly where I'd stand and, um, how he wanted to progress the club and move the club forward and what the plans were for, for him and, and where he saw the, the club as a whole. And, um, we, uh, we sort of made a, made a plan of what, what we wanted to do this year and, and we had some really good players. And then, uh, yeah, I, I got I got back to sort of free scoring goals and, and enjoying my football again. Um, and we we had some uh, some really good times there. Yeah. And uh, now in January 2020, you joined, uh, as we said earlier, Australian A-League side, Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, but obviously the big thing at the time COVID um, when you joined interrupting the league and having a suspension of the season what was it lot like not playing over the lockdown and especially as you just joined was it harder to fit into the squad as you might usually do yeah I, I joined in January um, 
and then COVID hit sort of around March, March time. So um, I only really got, I think it was like seven or eight games in, in that first period and um, started to really enjoy it being out here, the sun, the, the lifestyle, the, you know, just the, the whole nature of the country and, and the, and the games, the games are, are, are really competitive. Um, it's very warm, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a really good uh, opportunity for me to come out and, and play some football. Obviously, as soon as COVID hit, that was it. The season was, uh, was suspended and, and I got to come back to the UK um, and spend time with my family and stuff. Um, but then we had to try and figure out a way to resume the the last sort of six games, seven games of the season that we had. So we all came together as a, as a, as a league, as different, different clubs. And we made sure that we got to a point where we were able to finish off the season. We didn't finish off very well at all, but um, it was about, the sacrifice of coming back and, and finishing off the season. Yeah. What work did you do um, as a club over the, the break? Was it over Zoom? Did you like sessions together? No, not not particularly. We obviously were group chats and everything else that the, the lads were, were in um, and the fitness guys were would say, look, you know, we don't really know when we're going to start. So, and it's, it's very rare that as a footballer you get to because we didn't know when we were going to start. It was very rare that we got a chance to just, you know, down tools and, and literally relax for, for two or three weeks. So the manager at the time, he was very, very happy for us just to go spend time with your families. Don't do any work, don't do anything. Um, but if, if you know any footballers, that's very hard for people who, who play professional sport to sit on their hands and do nothing. Uh, very agitated people. So I'd, I'd imagine that everyone was doing a little something. Uh, but then as soon as we found out that we were coming back and there was a date for us to to play again, it was then stepped up and there was a couple of Zoom chats and um, and then the fitness coach was sending out um, uh, sessions for us to do on the treadmills and on the, you know, on the grass and stuff. So it was fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe move on a little bit. If we're correct in thinking, you've maybe started or done some of your coaching badges. And if you have, would you say maybe coaching, you know, is your future plan when you eventually retire if that one that day one day comes? Yeah. Uh, that day that day is getting closer, I think. Um <laughs> hopefully not not one day soon. But um yeah, absolutely. I'm just about to finish off my A license. So um so that'll be good. I'm I'm, I'm pleased that I've um I've gone down that route and it's, it's something that uh, as I touched on earlier, I've, I had two really good mentors growing up. So I feel like um, whether it's in the youth teams or as a first team manager, I feel like that's something that uh, I can add a lot of value to. And especially with like the experiences that I've had, obviously playing at, at good levels and, um, and now obviously in, on the other side of the world, it's uh, you can sort of, offer that inspiration and that, uh, that, that coaching to, to the younger generation and, uh, and hopefully bring through some, some good players. Yeah, definitely. And um, finally, even though we normally ask uh, guests this when they come on, uh, if you could have a, a dinner party with three other footballers or managers, you know, from past to present, uh, which three would you uh, want to experience it with? Uh, God. Um, they always say never meet your heroes, so I don't think I'd put Teddy Sheremy in the 
Um, oh yeah, that's a good point. Just, just, just purely on that on that basis. Um, uh, you probably have to go uh, the likes of. I would love to sort of sit down and have a chat with like the Maradonas of the world and um, mm-hmm. coaches. No, I don't think I'd sit down with any coaches. I think they, they'd bore me a little bit. So yeah, maybe. Uh, You'd want like you'd want some like say people like George Best as well people that had a little bit about them in in their day that you know both of both of them were big drinkers yeah both definitely and I'd imagine they had stories to tell so it'd be nice to have a, a dinner party where they'd have good stories yeah definitely uh, well that's all we have time for today thanks Simon for coming on and sharing uh, tales about your career with us it's been a pleasure talking to you pleasure thanks very much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure to, to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you can uh, get notified when new content comes out. Uh, that was the final whistle.